This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 29, with Shai Dahan. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, Shop Talk Creatives? I am excited to bring to you today's guest, Mr. Shai Dahan. Shai is a super interesting artist. As he's a street style artist, he's commissioned to do murals all over the world. He does gallery showings, and he's also done a TED Talk, which I found really interesting because his TED Talk was about going into Palestine as a Jewish native and painting a mural and what he discovered about how art builds bridges between people and religions was powerful. So we'll get into that. You can also check out his TED Talk on his website. Shai and I connected through a mutual friend out in LA and he is doing a clothing line called East 39th Street and it's very cool. He brings in his own art into his t-shirt line and he needed a lookbook shot for his new collection and we connected. I ended up going out to LA to shoot his lookbook and found him and checked out his story. So I wanted to have him on the podcast because he is one guy who travels around the world, makes a living with his art. He's commissioned many different things in his career and that's super exciting. So we get to talk about how to make a living with your art in the fine art world and how to build that and how that translates into the commercial art world and much, much more. So without further ado, let's jump in. All right, so we got the amazing Shai Dahan in the house today. His, hello, hello. His Airbnb, welcome. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Welcome <laughs> to Shop Talk Radio. Ah, yeah, thank you. Um, Shai is an amazing artist, and we'll get into that. And we just got done shooting a really cool lookbook for his clothing line. But I'll let him tell you more. So why don't you just give us a little overview? Where are you from? What, what, what all do you do yeah. and um, professionally, creatively? Yeah, uh, basically, uh, as as you mentioned, uh, I've been an artist for majority of my life. Uh, born in Israel and uh, raised by two very creative parents. My mom is a watercolor artist; has been so since I was born. I mean, she literally has paintings from 1979 that she was doing. Uh, my father, creative as well. Uh, you know, although I've known him only to be a construction worker my whole life, he does have a creative side. He does sculptures with wood and stuff. So I was raised in a very art-oriented family. Um, grew up in uh, Israel until about 1989, and that's when we moved to the U.S. I was about 10 years old. Mm. And um, yeah, just uh, raised up in Los Angeles, uh, everywhere from Woodland Hills to the Venice Beach area. Uh, just uh, fell in love with the whole skateboarding, surf culture, the art culture in particular. Uh, L.A. is where I discovered the whole graffiti culture and really dove into that in my teens. Um, and then on and on and on, I eventually moved to New York and then from New York to Sweden. So, uh, but it all really, all, all my roots for my art history has really started in mm. LA. Um, and it's always been kind of a, my nostalgic 
hometown, you know, yeah. that kind of go back to. Yeah. So um, it all started here, and it and it's really kind of strange now uh, on this particular trip because um, I'm visiting here along with my wife, um, and it's we are here not just as you mentioned to do the photo shoot for our lookbook, which we'll get into that. Uh, but also I've had an exhibition here in Venice and it's my first time showing my art here mm. in almost, I would say over seven years. Uh, so it's kind of, awesome. uh, yeah, the exhibition was titled homecoming, which I felt was very appropriate. Cause <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it, it kind of felt that way. I felt like I was coming home and mm. I was bringing my art and it's kind of nice because, you know, I started here getting influenced by everything here and that kind of took me along this journey of my career both the journey of traveling and exploring the world but also exploring my my style uh while still holding on to something that i found here mm. um and uh it's it's a very very long journey that i've been on but to come back and be able to display what i've done it's almost kind of like a you know you come home as a kid to your mom and show her what you've drawn at school and <laughs> sticking on the refrigerator to me la is the mom in this story and i'm yeah. kind of bringing my paintings to mm. her to say hey look what i've made while i've been away that's awesome um, so that's great i mean i love your work i love your style and and when we connected i was like damn this has a, i like i like the street style it's very cool thank you and, and i think that's important i mean you know it's funny because it, as as part of me, I kind of felt like I always had to keep my roots in the graffiti and, and, and that culture itself because, you know, a lot of I've met a lot of people throughout uh, the last few years who have seen my work and have said, you know, you're a fantastic fine artist. Why don't you just do fine art? Um, but I kind of felt like there's enough of that out there. Uh, yeah. What I really enjoy is being able to use my fine artwork along with some of my spray paint and graffiti and, and colorful abstract backgrounds uh, to kind of show my past and then being yeah. the fine work, fine artwork being more of the developed stuff that I constantly progress in to kind of show mm. that's my current work. So yeah. there's always a little hint of, of my past in every work of my painting, my, my history, where I came from. You know, and it's funny because I get into to debates with people who are like, oh, I love your painting, but ugh, I can't stand graffiti. And I'm like, well, that's funny because like half of my artwork is graffiti. So. <laughs> and then I point it out to them and I'm like, yeah, all these bits, that's all done with spray paint and, you know, graffiti tags. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, so it's kind of like an eye opening for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think LA, LA really set that journey on I mean it's kind of funny because when I started to really dive into my art career here I, I was a graphic designer for a major bank here in LA I can't say which one but let's just say there's a movie called Fargo after it <laughs> ah, no, not after it but <laughs> same name um, but you know it, I worked for for the bank as a graphic designer and although that was supposed to be a very creative job it, mm. it wasn't because I didn't get to be in control of my art you kind of report to people who may or may not necessarily always have the right idea of what's you know, they're, they're going by sales. They're not necessarily going by creativity. Mm. Uh, so it was very difficult for me to stay there. Um, but I had to do it for about seven and a half years just wow. to kind of get by. Um, but the art side of me has always been there and it was always been developed. Um, when I was here in LA, I, I, the way I really started uh, to do my art art wasn't even on canvas. The way I began was I, I began painting on surfboards. And oh, uh, so I would take these like really used, I used to go to like a local shop here in Venice 
and buy these like really cheap broken and cracked surfboards that they just couldn't use mm. uh, that literally sometimes they would try to rent out duct tape and everything you know <laughs> for like five dollars um, and I would buy them off of them for like 30 bucks and take them home and just paint them uh, cut them in half and paint them do all kinds of stuff to them um, and then I met a few people a few different people I met these guys who have a charity called Life Rolls On okay. uh, here um, and uh it, I started to create work that would end up getting donated to some of their auctions and things mm. like that. Um, and then once I got into that, it slowly uh, evolved into skateboard art. Um, and then I started painting artwork on skateboards. And I actually, it, it's, it's kind of funny because for a while there, I would say about a good three and a half, almost four years, I had this thing called Deck Yourself, <laughs> which was literally a way for people to kind of send pictures of their dogs or... Uh, pictures of whatever and I would try to translate that into art on skateboards oh, no um, and then they would hang it in their house and I think that uh, the day I kind of closed that up that where I was like I can't do any more skateboards <laughs> uh, I was well above the hundred like I, I I made over a hundred skateboards just of customized skateboards for people um, and it was it was rather weird to kind yeah. of uh, feel like that kind of took off as, as like my thing you know yeah um when i lived in new york i was still doing the the deck yourself and uh, you know that went really really well i had like exhibitions where it was all just skateboard art I got really influenced by the guys in zoo york and uh again hooked up with a couple of charities out in new york called stoked mentoring which oh, helped cool. kids uh through skateboarding and stuff like that so yeah i've heard of that actually yeah yeah so it's it's it, it was you know for me it was nice because in one way it took what i love doing which is art and tie it with the culture that i love which was surfing and skateboarding so yeah. i kind of felt like i was covering all grounds and that's why i kind of was working with those charities as well because i felt like they were doing it in a way where they were supporting charities through surfing or skateboarding yeah um so that was really really close to home for me and and that really set me on my journey um and uh after that it was just constantly working in different projects and things like that yeah so. that's awesome I, mean, I love the fact that you give back too which which we'll get to in a bit but uh you know i think first of all especially in the name of the podcast, it's it's for creative entrepreneurs, and I think the big question, the amazing thing, is that you're making your your living off of selling your art and and, and as an artist. So, I you know, tell us the kind of like how you came into that. Like, how did you start making money with your art? Um, yeah, you know, people. I've had people ask me, what what's the secret to becoming a successful artist? I'm like, the secret is just to being stupid enough to think that you ever become a successful artist. Like, <laughs> you know, you just stick with it, thinking, oh, one day I'm gonna get my big break. Uh, and you know, it, it's it's very strange how things come about sometimes. Uh, my story may not necessarily work for everyone, but the the only thing I can say is is that um, you have to just believe in it uh it shouldn't be about fame it shouldn't be about money to me it never was to me it was just about creating art when i was working at the bank as a graphic designer i was painting those skateboards when mm. i would get home so after a full day eight hour shift i would go home pick up a skateboard and do it and i could have just said oh i got paid for the week i don't need to do this but for me that was like my way of putting out my creativity yeah um so that was the hustle of that you know and i've just had that hustle mentality not just from la but from new york as well where everything is always like you know if you're not doing 10 things at once you're not doing anything at 
all kind of mentality. Right, right, right. Um, and that's how I felt. So, um, you know, I, I just kept on pushing it. Uh, and I was I started to do a lot of group shows, a lot of different projects in New York. I started to do a lot of uh, different projects, which luckily for me gave me a little bit more exposure. Mm. Uh, for example, one of them was the Underbelly Project, which was... A project a few years back, I believe in 2007 or 2008 in New York City, uh, run by a couple of uh, really great guys. They basically picked out uh, 100 street artists, world-renowned street artists from all over the world, and invited them uh, to this abandoned subway station in New York. And only they oh, wow. knew the location, and they would sneak us in there uh, in the middle of the night, and each artist only got like four or five hours to paint their mural. And over the course of, I believe, it was like 18 months or so, uh, each artist got to do a mural in this abandoned station. And then when they were done with the last, very last artist, they kind of sealed it up so that it could never be seen again. And it's like this time capsule. Um, and nobody knows where it is. I mean, the New York Times wrote about it and it was mentioned in the LA Times, I believe. And it was one of those things where people were asking, where is this place? We got to go see it. There's like 100 murals by all these artists there. And all of us kind of swore to secrecy to never mention it. <laughs> And to me, that was really beautiful because the, the whole concept of that project was to do something that was not, none of us were gaining anything financially from it. It was all for the pure uh, love of painting. Yeah. And we were all risking ourselves. We were all uh, putting ourselves on the line and getting arrested. I mean, you're sneaking in into the MTA after 9-11. I mean, that's that's risky all in itself. Yeah. Um, and, and I kind of love that idea of... of there would be other artists there that would paint that are 10, 50 times more uh, well-known than I am. And, and they were still doing it just because they love what the project was about, just being able to go back to basics and painting. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the mentality I take with me on every project and everything that I do. And no matter whether fame and fortune comes from it or not, you kind of have to keep that. You kind of have to keep pushing forward doing it for yourself not anybody else yeah and I think that that's what translates to success is that people see if you're humble people see if you're doing it because you're not don't have you know bad reasons to do it you know and, and I think people see through that and they can you know I, I kind of feel like we're in a place now uh, where artists can actually make a really great living out of their careers. I mm. think, you know, 50 years ago, if if somebody told you, hey, you know, you can make your art, you know, as a living, it was a very rare thing, you know, like it, you either did it for the passion, but probably didn't make a living out of it. And those that did were like these big, huge, famous artists. And nowadays, mm. there's a lot of successful artists. I mean, even if you asked me 10 years ago, if I thought I'd be making a living out of, you know, Picking up, picking up spray cans. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell you, uh, no. <laughs> I'd be like, what are you smoking? Because I like some. But uh, yeah, it's it's strange. Um, so I, I try to enjoy every minute of it because I don't know how long it's going to last. Um, you know, and that's that's how you just got to treat it. Like every day's, you know, there's an old quote by Biggie that, you know, you, <laughs> you, you have to treat every day like it's your first time, like it's your very first record or your very first yeah. show. And that's what I do with every exhibition, every mural, everything. I always treat it like it's my first because you still get excited about it. And, you know, you, you never know how long it's going to last. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great quote. It's something that, like, I just need to constantly remember. Yeah. Just as you go through the journey, it's like sometimes it's hard to forget. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the journey or is what's more important. Yeah, of course. But I think, <laughs> I think it's important to enjoy the journey. I think, you know, sometimes people get so focused on the on. on 
the the final destination which is rich being rich and having fame and being on a certain cover of a certain magazine or making a certain amount like oh, i want to be able to get to a point where i can sell my paintings for twenty thousand, you know and it's like that it, that's not where you're going to be happy yeah like me looking back my happiest moments was like the little things like when you sell that first painting at an exhibition like i i still get that at every exhibition when the like gallery calls you up and says we sold the very first painting you know even if it's like the one that's the least expensive painting in the show yeah i still get like goosebumps over it because to me it's like that means somebody fell in love with your piece as much as you love it mm. that they're willing to take it home permanently and to me that that's that's amazing, you know, like there's so many other artists people can choose from, there's so many other options for them to do, there's so many other things they can fill up their walls with, and they're choosing my work to do it, that I feel like, you know, that that's that's something you can never take away from me, you know, and, and yeah. I appreciate the people who buy my art now, and I appreciate equally the same, the, the people who have bought my skateboards, even those who paid, you know, $100 way back when I started, <laughs> you know what I mean? and. and that, that's the beauty that's the journey of it yeah know? that's amazing and I totally agree with you I mean having a passion for the actual craft is what's going to carry and transcend through yeah and you know and, and I feel like also in the world of art especially fine art I think the big disconnect for a lot of people is like how do you get your work out there how does how do you you know how does one get their work in a gallery or you know I mean obviously it's different for everyone but like what what's worked for you um, yeah to me it's fun funny uh, I think marketing is is an art form all in itself mm. uh, you know as much as I can sit and complain about how uncreative the graphic design banking job was that thing has taught me more about how to market myself as an artist than any other place I've ever learned uh, because I looked at myself as a brand mm. in the same way as a graphic designer. I looked at the bank as a brand. So the bank had rules like, you know, the, the, the logo always has to be here. The, the thing always has to be facing that way. And it, like back then, I thought those things were so minuscule and I thought they were so stupid. I was like, <laughs> who gives it? you know, like, uh, but I get it. It's consistency. It's being able to have people relate to it and feel like you're you're part of them. And, and that's what I took for myself is once I started to do it on my own, I kind of said, okay, I have to create to feel like I'm a brand. And I know that sounds cliche or even sounds bad in some way, an artist saying that. But at the end of the day, I, I feel like part of my success came from being able to just find a way to market myself properly. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean doing things I'm not happy with. There are a lot of jobs I turn down just because I don't feel at heart with it, you know? Mm. Um, I recently, for example, was approached by a place that was like, oh, do you want to do, you know, th this brand wants to do a commercial and they want to do a, their logo in a graffiti street art style on their wall and they're going to pay lots of money. Do you want to do it? And I was like, no. And they're like, no, 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 they'll pay you whatever you want. And I was like, that's great. But I, that's, I don't feel the connection to that. Mm. It's just not there. Money is not what drives me to take on a job. Um, so, you know, I think that you have to not just think about what makes you happy, but also how other people will perceive it. Because if you start taking every gig just for the sake of paying your check, people are going to see through that. People are going to be able to kind of say, well, he's doing jobs that kind of feel left field for his kind of work, that they're going to feel like you're just, you know, mm. doing it for the sake of, of money. 
Um, and you know, I think marketing at the end of the day is, is a craft. It's, it really is. Cause it's, especially nowadays when you have to compete with so many different things, it's like, you know, you have social media and things like that. I mean, I remember my wife was like, Oh, you should, you know, add yourself to Pinterest, you know? And I was like, what the heck is a Pinterest? And she's like, Oh, you know, it's like photos. It's like Tumblr. And you just type, you know, you can throw Shai Dahan on there. And I was like, okay, open it up and type in Shai Dahan. And she did. And like, a bunch of photos of my murals and my work popped up in Pinterest. I was like, why would I need it? Other people are uploading my work for me. <laughs> like, I don't even need to do it. Uh, but I think that that's what we've gotten into. We got into a point where, where social media is a marketing tool nowadays. Um, and the internet is a big, big marketing tool. Yeah. Um, and that's to me, is part of it is, is being able to hustle. I don't sleep. Uh, I don't want to sleep because I get to do what I love for a living. Mm. Um, and I think that I enjoy the most being awake and working yeah you know <laughs> even when i'm on vacation at my airbnb home i'm sitting on my laptop <laughs> and working um but that's that's what it is 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 your at the end of the day your brand if you're trying to be successful and do it for a living you have to treat it like a job i wake up every day at 7 30 i eat my breakfast and i'm in my studio by before nine that's like my rule monday through friday and I'm there until five or six mm. even on days where i don't feel creative and i feel like ugh, i don't feel like painting anything I stay in the studio and I do something, whether it's like mm. making titles for the, the pieces that I finished or whether sorting out prices or whether it's replying to clients or whether it's pitching new clients or whatever, like you have to treat it like a job because if you treat it like a hobby, it'll stay a hobby. If you treat it like a job, it becomes a job. Ooh, it becomes like it becomes what you do for a living. Um, and I, I treat it that way. Weekends, same thing. If, if my work demands it, I do it. I don't say, oh, it's my art. I get to control my own schedule. Yeah. You know, somebody once told me that. They were like, oh, it must be nice working for yourself. You can pick whatever day off you want. I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding? I don't have days off. I, when, you're, when you work at a bank, you know, or when you work at any corporate job, they force you sometimes to say, hey, you have two weeks a year vacation. You have to take them. Me, I, I don't go on vacation <laughs> unless my wife is like, get out the house now. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and that's that's how it is. You have to treat it that way. And and I I hustle. And uh, there's times where it stresses me out. But overall, when I look back and I kind of say, you know, it's it's every day I get to wake up and go to the studio at eight in the morning doing what I love. Yeah. Nobody can take that away from me. You know. That's amazing. So you know, and, and you kind of go into that. Like, here's another question. So how do you, you know, on the days that you're not feeling creative, how do you access flow? Um. It's good to kind of have an idea of all the, for me, I kind of like to do a lot of different things uh, and it's good to kind of know what all those different things are. So that way, if one is not working for you, you know what else needs attention. Um, You know, for example, my regular work day uh, would be coming into the studio and, and in my studio, I always have a bunch of different things going on. So one would be an exhibition because I generally try to do two, sometimes three exhibitions a year. Mm. And they're usually separated with about six months apart. So, you know, the preparation takes those six months, whether it means, you know, everything from conceptual sketches to, um, you know, coming up with themes and ideas and things like that, or going through photos and things like that to kind of get an idea of what I want to do. Um, that takes time, but then also creating the actual work. I usually work on about four or five paintings at a time. So they'll mm. be laying up, spread apart in my studio and I'll be dipping into one. And then while it's drying, go dip into another. Um, 
that's just the exhibition side. And then you have things like uh, commission projects, which is, you know, uh, clients like hotels or whatever ask me to make specific work for their wall size. So they'll say, hey, we have a big lobby. We need a painting that's, you know, five feet wide by four feet tall. And I do stuff like that as well. And those usually have deadlines. So those I kind of have to make sure that I'm working a little bit faster on. Um, and then there's all the little bits. There's things like, you know, mural projects, uh, you know, where clients uh, would ask me to come either to their home or to their office and paint an indoor mm. mural or an outdoor mural. There's festivals last year. Um, you know, a few years ago, I read an, it. I was on a flight somewhere and I was reading an interview with George Clooney, who says the way he does his movies is he does one for himself and then one for everybody else, meaning like one blockbuster that he knows will just make money, and then he does one that's really passionate to him, even if he knows it's going to be a bust. Really? Um, and I try to have my years that way. Mm. So I do one year where it's for me, and one year that's going to be more for like creating exhibitions and, and doing the, the, the projects for you know murals and things like that. Uh, for offices and things like that that end up actually supporting me mm. um, where on the years for me it's more passion projects so for example last year was my year for me and that's the year I went to South Africa I went to Art Basel in Miami on my own dime uh, you know I ended up doing a, a mural in, in uh, Poland with my brother you know it's one of those things where I got to do a lot of my own things that I love yeah um, so I think that that's how how I try to treat things when I go into the studios, just kind of having an idea of where everything is. Not to mention on top of the fact that we have now the clothing brand and I'm also <laughs> curating Sweden's uh, for a street art festival in September. So Jeez. there's a whole lot of other things on the side that go on. And, and not to mention all the little projects that fall through. I mean, I recently wrapped up uh, doing an album cover for a buddy of mine who produced uh, a collaboration CD with guys like Brother Ali and Rascas, who I'm, I grew up on that music. When I first got into skateboarding and, and all that, I grew up on Rascas music. And now it's like, oh, now I'm being asked to design album covers. It's, it's, a, it's a really, you know, and those things kind of fall in last minute and they say, hey, the deadline is like yesterday and you kind of just have to get through it. But um, you try to enjoy it. So, you know, if you can't find the creativity, I always say just kind of find the thing you are willing to do uh, as long as it still benefits your whole... For the greater you know, good, yeah. For the greater good, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's funny, I mean, because once you start in this creative space, you almost become like a creative director of your own brand and yeah. of your own things. I mean, I'm not, I'm noticing for myself the same thing. Like, I'm having all these other creative projects that... I'm like, oh, I want to try this. I want to try this medium. I want to try this medium. Yeah. And even if it's just for fun, it's still... Yeah, and you should always explore. You should never tell yourself no. I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of person who doesn't like the word no, um, <laughs> especially when... I don't like rules and guidelines either. I mean, I know that there is like certain guidelines, even within the art world of like, you know, sometimes you have to have a specific style and do it this way. And that's how you become, you know, and I'm kind of like, look, if I do something and I get bored with it, then like, why, you know, I had somebody tell me, you do beautiful horses. You can do those red horses for the next 50 years. And I'm like, who wants to do the same thing for 50 years? It's like, <laughs> I, would, I would just throw myself off a bridge, you know? Yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's more about finding happiness and if you're happy it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks you know mm. i mean i'm not in the business of making the world happy i'm in the business of making shy happy and if everybody else becomes happy because of that then fantastic because when i'm happy i give i give positive energy back out you know what i mean uh when i do things i love uh i project that and i try to do projects and things that will benefit others in yeah that, in that process yeah you know? um so 
you know, I I think uh, it's it's hard to to be your own, like you said, your own creative director, I suppose. Um, especially when you run your own things, you also play the assistant, you also play <laughs> everything yeah. else in between. Um, but have fun, man. That's you know that's the most important part of it. Yeah, I think that's hugely important. Yeah, and yeah. play, play, play a lot. You never, you know. <laughs> You're never too young for that. <laughs> Definitely. So how did you get your first gallery showing? I mean, it was your solo gallery. And how did that go? What was, yeah. what was that like? Um, how did the show go? You know, for years I was doing group shows. So that was because I was in the bank world. Um, so I didn't have the time or capacity to put on a full exhibition on my own. I think my very first uh, half solo show was in Philly. Uh, I shared a gallery with an amazing, talented guy named Joe Urado, uh, who's from Jersey. Uh, that was my first time creating a body of works for something um, mm. and and it was something I created it had a theme it was all tied together all the paintings kind of related to each other uh, and it was exciting and I when I created it uh, I took a leap of faith by creating a very large piece of painting uh, because it was my first show before that I've always created very small works not just to mention the skateboards, but even canvas works were very small. And I kind of said, well, you know, I want to go all out. Who knows if I'll ever get another show again? This might be my only one. I'm going to do something quite phenomenal. So I took a piece of plywood that was about five foot by five foot and created this black horse that had like all this crazy splatter paint on it. Um, and I, in my head, I'm thinking, ain't no way this thing's going to sell. This is more for just the show, yeah. you know? Uh, when it comes back home, I find a place for it over the fireplace, <laughs> you know? Um, and that ended up being the very first piece that sold on opening night. And it was such a, a boost for me because it showed me that you should never second guess yourself. You should never go, ugh, no one's going to buy this. Why bother? You should just do it and, yeah. and you know, go for it. That was, I would say, 2000 and, I want to say 2007, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't quite remember, but it was in Philly. And it was, I think, around 2007, maybe. Um, and I had this similar moment just last year where I had an exhibition in Sweden. And I had a full exhibition, a full art show. Um, you know, by then, I've, I already done my TED Talk and everything else. So I felt quite confident about the piece, the smaller works and the medium-sized works I've done. But then I said, you know... I'm going to take another leap of faith, make a banger, big, giant painting. And I did one. Uh, this one was much larger. I think it was like seven feet wide oh, by cool. five feet high. Um, and again, I said, no way this one's going to sell. That one sold before even opening night. Somebody ran up and says, I'm buying that before it opened at night. And it was the first piece. And it was oh. funny because it, it was very nostalgic to that very first show. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like I never lost that. You mm -hmm. know, like that, that boost of saying... Always go for the dare, you know, like if you dare yourself, do it, you know. Um, so I try to do that with my exhibitions is, is to remember that you should just always go, not necessarily go big, but just, you know, go for the crazy, go for the outrageous, even if people don't expect it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that first show really set that apart. And then uh, once I got to Sweden, um, you know, I, I had a graphic design background when we moved to Sweden. It was one of those things where I knew I wasn't going to be able to get a graphic design job just because you kind of have to be able to write and read Swedish. <laughs> You're going to write advertisement for them. It's small, tiny little you know, yeah. problem, right? Um, so my wife, being the supporter of my art that she is, kind of said, you know, I got a job already. Why don't you just take six months, eight months off and see if you can break the Swedish art scene? 
and I kind of put all my energy and focus into that. I got my first solo show in Sweden within our first three months of moving there. Oh, amazing. Um, in Gothenburg, did that show, Pieces Sold There, and then that kind of led into a couple of other shows. Um, and then before you know it, it was the TED Talk. And after that, the rest was history. After I did the TED thing, it kind of just, you know, took off running. Yeah. Um, so that's it, awesome yeah. yeah i mean I, I, actually that's what i want to talk about next but right before we get to that what's just I, um, what's the process once you get once a gallery does a gallery come and ask you to do a show and then you go and create that collection or do they come do you have a collection that you build and then you just no i i the, the way no i used to submit to galleries mm. uh i haven't submitted to a gallery in probably about two years now uh, close to two years. Uh, at least the last few exhibitions and all the exhibitions coming up are solely uh, ones that have either approached me or ones that I've had a relationship with uh, from the past and we kind of decided to have an ongoing relationship. Um, and it's uh, it's kind of nice because then I don't have to worry about like trying to go fetch it. It just kind of set myself yeah. up. Uh, you know, my my, I believe between... In January, this whole year was already fully booked. And now I'm pretty much fully booked until beginning of 2015. So it's wow. one of those things where like now I'm a little bit more comfortable because I know that there's projects <laughs> and exhibitions coming up. Yeah. Um, and uh, the process is now knowing those shows are there. I try not to plan or th overthink things too much about what's going to happen six, eight, 12 months down the line. I think about just the next show. I want to put all my heart and energy into that next show because mm. you never know what's going to inspire you down the line. Um, you know, this this exhibition I just wrapped up here in Venice. Um, you know, it was one of those things where I was going to go in one direction with it, and then at the very last minute, I kind of really felt excited about seeing my family, seeing my friends, taking a trip with uh, my wife and her family, and and all that. That I kind of felt like, you know, I got to make it more into something more about me and and, and yeah. i kind of felt like i'm going to do the homecoming theme and then it became what it is which is you know a lot of paintings all revolving around the thought and theme of homecoming uh so sometimes things change but i try not to overthink it and plan too far ahead yeah. because you never know where inspiration might come from um you know and that that's the nice thing is that you know i could end up going on a trip somewhere and get inspired by it and come home i want to paint for it you know <laughs> yeah so, I love that. I yeah. love that. That's amazing. So now, yeah, I mean, uh, let's let's talk about the TED Talk. Or actually, I would love to hear, like, give these guys the story of, of you going to Palestine. and it's, Which is quite appropriate considering what's going on in the news in the last couple of days. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, found, I found it super fascinating. And, and, you know, in the end, you know, the takeaways from that. But let's, why don't you just dive into it? And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I basically, in, in 2000 and... 10? Yeah. <laughs> or 11. Ah, I don't remember. My, my, I got the memory of a goldfish. I apologize. Um, basically, I was a, my friend David Freed uh, was a journalist, or is, he still is a journalist, but at the time, what he was doing is he was out in the Middle East uh, kind of doing stories of behind the scenes of the lives of people in the Middle East, not just in Palestine, but as well as Israel, Syria, Egypt, all these other places. <laughs> Uh, and he spent quite some time there. And he knew that I was raised in Israel. Um, as an Israeli-American, it's kind of weird because I'm, I come from a very different place than my cousins do. My cousins who live there, they had to serve in the army. They live under the 
threat of what's happening there mm. um, where me I kind of lived and grew up in LA so it's a little different for me I didn't have to serve in the army uh, I only heard secondhand stories from my own parents who served you know right. um, so at the time he kind of emailed me and said man you know I'm here in, in Ramallah and in Bethlehem and they have the wall that separates Israel and Palestine and there is some really amazing art there, which I was already aware of. I knew Banksy, who's a world famous street artist, has painted there. Uh, guys like JR, who won the TED Talk, uh, has painted there. Uh, guys like Blue and Sam Three and all these other artists, Connor Harrington, have all been down there. Um, and it, it was one of those things where he was like, you should come out here and paint. And at the time I thought, yeah, it would be cool. We'll take a trip to Israel, I can go visit some family there. Um, but as we continued talking, uh, he kind of said, no, 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 I want to I want to film you doing this on the Palestinian side because you're an <laughs> Israeli. And and I kind of told him, you know, Israelis are not allowed into Palestine. Like, at least that's as far as I knew, which I realize is still true to this day, is, is Israeli. If you're an Israeli citizen, you're just not allowed to go into Palestine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could, but you shouldn't. <laughs> right. Um because once something happens then you're on your own kind of thing and uh, he said no 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 trust me you'll come with me as a journalist you'll be fine so um somehow by the blessing of my wife i went and uh once i got there it was it was very very interesting how immediately uh, we were talking about how how sometimes you never know what might happen as far as for where you're going to get inspiration or creativity yeah when i was going to head over there I had a whole book of sketches of ideas that I was planning to paint on the mural. They were all very controversial paintings that have to do with the violence between Palestine and Israel. Hmm. When I arrived and I walked in the very first day, I realized that it's it's just completely more and beyond anything I could have possibly imagine it being in the sense that it just feels like that whole place is a place that people just forgot about. It's kind hmm. of like it's there, but nobody really... Like, I, I've seen images of Palestine on CNN for like five seconds when they show yeah. something happened there. But when you stand there and you've seen kids running around in buildings that are riddled with bullet holes. And it's just, it feels like wow. something out of like a, a war movie. And you're like, I'm in it. I'm in the thick of it. Um, it was very, very strange. Um, and immediately as we were continuing to talk to people, like, my my inspiration and my feeling about what I should do and my subject of my art changed and shifted. Mm. Um, specifically, we spoke to a few people who kind of discussed all the previous murals or some of the other murals that have been there. And you get the sense that a lot of people come out and do controversial paintings. Uh, not necessarily the artists that I mentioned because their work has been very, very phenomenal. Um, but there's been a lot of other artists there who have done very controversial art and it's one of those things where from the people we spoke with kind of gave the, the sense that they know they're aware of their situation there they, yeah. they know how shite it is there yeah. um, <laughs> pardon my French uh, so it was one of those things where they felt kind of like they were, they needed inspirational art as opposed to something that just constantly reminded them of what they're in um, so what I ended up deciding is I need to do something that they can relate to. Uh, so my buddy David Freed is, is a phenomenal photographer, uh, had a bunch of different pictures of the locals and, and people he photographed throughout his trip in different countries. And I fell in love with this one photo and it was an Arab Bedouin. Bedouins, for those who don't know, are basically kind of like gypsies. Mm. Um, 
I really connected with that because my grandmother and grandfather were Bedouins from Morocco. So like that for wow. me, there was a connection. My, my grandmother and my grandfather were Bedouins. They were known to kind of just, my dad was born in a tent when he was a baby. You know, it was, <sighs> I had a connection to the history of the Bedouins. And then my grandparents migrated into Israel and became Israelis, which that's, so it's kind of like, to mm. me, I kind of felt like, okay, I really connect with this photo. And the picture was just of this Arab Bedouin who fell asleep with his hand holding a cigarette. And the cigarette is like literally almost burnt out. Um, and I love the symbolism of that. It, 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 when you looked at it, it kind of made you feel like you're tired as well and that he's exhausted. And, mm. and you don't know why he's exhausted. But in my head, in the situation of where I was sitting and what I was seeing, you kind of feel like everybody here is kind of tired, yeah. you know, <laughs> like they're all tired. Um, and we ended up creating this, this mural that was uh, about five meters high. Um, it, it was quite large and it was quite risky because we did it directly on the wall. When we got there, you know, I spent the first day in Bethlehem just walking around. My buddy mm -hmm. was like, I just want to break you in because I was really, really scared. I'm talking about frightened out of my life for a couple of reasons. One, I'm Jewish inside Palestine without anybody knowing I'm yeah. in there. The only people that knew I was going was my dad, my mother and my wife. That's it. <laughs> you know, wow. so if something was to happen to me, uh, you know, <laughs> good <laughs> yeah. luck, buddy. Um, the other part of me is that those who are listening to this can't tell, but I have quite a few tattoos, one of which is Hebrew letters on my arm. Um, and that's pretty much a dead giveaway of <laughs> where you're from. Um, and we had to cover up that tattoo because it's not like I was going to walk in a hoodie the entire time. It's right. blazing heat there. Yeah. So people would get suspicious if you're walking around with a hoodie. Um, so, so there was different risks and different things happening. And, and it was one of those things where once I got there, I realized the danger. And there was a part, I won't lie, there was a part of me that just kind of said, F it, let's just forget this. I'm not ready for this. Mm -hmm. Let's go back. Um, but once David introduced me to a lot of the locals, you start meeting the young kids and, and the elderly and, and you start to hear the stories. And, you know, we had a woman who took us into her house and showed us, you know, her kids and everything. And, and you're just talking to them like, you know, like we were journalists. So you're just talking to them. And they're opening up to you because they want to tell you their life story. And suddenly you realize like, it doesn't matter what I feel. If I feel terrified, these people are always terrified. Yeah. And it would be really cowardly of me to just take the easy route and say, I'm going to go back into Israel, into Tel Aviv where I'm safe and everybody knows I'm Israeli and I'll be fine. I said, yeah. if I can spend three days here, if they can spend their whole life here, I can spend at least three days. Here. Yeah. Um, so we did that. We, we went in and, and we painted this mural in there and, um, it, it, I left there with a feeling of joy and sadness at the same time because I felt happy with the work I've done even though it was the the piece that I've done there was very different than any of my other works up until that point but I was fine with that mm -hmm. uh, but I was quite sad because I felt like it didn't do any justice to to what these people are going through and again it's hard because you know I have family that are Israelis that are on the opposite end of this wall that yeah. have to deal with what's going on over there and it's like, how do you play the guy that's kind of on both sides? You yeah. know, how do you play the good guy to both? Right. Um, I remember there was a moment where we were sitting in Palestine, taking a break, and I'm drinking a Coca-Cola, and I'm literally sitting at this round table. We were walking back and forth for, from to the mural uh, with materials. 
and there was this group of elderly men who were drinking their coffee. And when they invite you over to come and sit, you know, they kept saying, oh, you guys look tired, come sit, you know, and, and my buddy was like, we should go do it because if you don't, it's kind of showing that you're being rude, like you don't appreciate it. So mm-hmm. we should just take a Coke and go sit with them. And we sat down and I'm sitting at this table and I'll tell you, man, it was one of those things that on any other day, if you showed me photos of these guys, I would have been like, oh my God, these are like the kind of guys that they show on the news, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then after spending about five minutes with these people talking to them, you realize they are the most kindest, nicest human beings I've ever met. They're laughing with us. They're telling us jokes. They're, you know. And at some point, David kind of nudges me. He's like, you do realize you're probably the first one in your family generation or any generation before in your family that gets to sit this close to a Palestinian without screaming and yelling and throwing fists. You know, like here you are having a, a human conversation, laughing, having a Coke, and there is no violence involved there's yeah. no altercation there's no debate about politics or religion or any of that um and it really gave me a sense on how once you remove the whole bit about you know sharing land and religion and out of it and you just connect on a human side uh these people could have by any other day have been my my uncles mm. you know what i mean yeah um and that's that made me happy and sad at the same time is that I left there and going had I stood at that table and told them oh oh you guys really really love me but FYI I'm a Jew immediately maybe that conversation would have taken a left turn yeah maybe it wouldn't have I, I I'm not in a place to to debate <laughs> how they would react but <laughs> right right but you know it's it could have and and I don't know um so I don't know it's Especially now, it's a little bit hard because you turn on the news and you realize what's going on. It's it's all back to being you know rockets on top of each other, back and forth, That's and kind of go, man. I, I thought we were really progressing forward. <laughs> you realize we're just taking fifty steps back. You know. Yeah. So what was the the I guess the main purpose of you going to do the the mural there? Yeah, it, it was. Um, to me, it was more of just fulfilling something for myself feeling a sense to not just connect with my heritages from Israel, but also to connect with my heritage mm. on the opposite side of where my family came from before Israel was there. Yeah. Um, and to also kind of just feel like you're doing something for somebody else. Yeah. That was the one of the very first times where I kind of did something um, that had no financial gain, uh, it had like no, per- like I didn't expect anything out of it except maybe possibly getting hurt <laughs> but I just went out there for the sole fact that I just wanted to do something nice for somebody else yeah uh, and this was the opportunity um, you know all, all the money came out of my own pocket uh, I actually had my sister and my friend Jason pay for the flight to fly me out there because at the time I didn't have it and they're like you know let us help you um, and it was one of those things where you know Coming back, I realized that it was probably one of the most inspiring projects I've ever done in my career because that really shifted. When I came back, it shifted me into that whole part about doing something for myself and then, you know, one Mm. year and then doing something for somebody else. And since then, I've tried to do a project that's beneficial for some for the world as opposed to me so you know Palestine was the first one this past year I went to South Africa to Langa I did something yeah. similar um, and I'm going to try to continue to do that every year going forward is yeah. to go to some place around the world and kind of just make an impact with art in some way yeah. uh, to change society to change culture and even if it's on a tiny little I mean at the end of the day look my mural 
is not going to stand out next to Banksy and it's not going to get the kind of fame that JR's pieces did over there. But that's not what I was going for. I was going to make a change for the people who got to see it within that time frame that yeah. I was there, the people who get to walk out of their apartment building and see my mural in front of their house. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's fine. You know, like I, yeah. I'm happy with that. That's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, I also loved what you talked about too is how art and doing that it, it's the bridge between the cultures bridge between the yeah i mean i said that in, in the ted x talk that was that you know art is a universal language it's it's the one language that everybody understands i can sit in a room with people who don't speak a word of english and we can look at each other and try to communicate all day long and not understand each other but if with art we all take something away from it mm. uh you know you and i can look at the same painting and walk away with different emotions from it um you know a good example is, is the mural i did you know i know that in the photo and by the photographer who took the photo he said that the arab bedouin was sleeping so when i did the mural you know i knew the arab bedouin is sleeping um but at the same time when i was painting it uh a guy came with his granddaughter and my buddy david was photographing nearby and it was basically one of those moments where the girl was asking you know yeah. why why is the arab guy sleeping and the grandfather said no he's just sad he's tired and she's like why is he tired and, and the grandfather responded because we're all tired and it was one of those like really moments that you connect with that you kind of feel like everybody takes something else from each painting you know yeah um and i feel like that's the beauty of it is that is that art whether it can you know be uh, you you look at like art as a way to deliver message to the community that's why i always kind of love that goes back to graffiti and street art is the beauty of it i mean i i you can say so much with so little i mean even when we saw the uprising in egypt a lot of people were writing their messages on walls using graffiti mm. because they knew that the newscasts were capturing that and that would it would go global and back then they didn't have sometimes they didn't have the access to social media and things like that yeah. to, to deliver their messages so i had to go back to basics right um and i feel like that's how how art will always be is that it will be one of those art forms that you can always communicate to people um and that's why i really really love the whole street art and graffiti culture because we're still doing that you know yeah um you have guys like even you know shepherd ferry who's who's world famous street artist who by any means can quit now and say i retire and, <laughs> and be fine but he still goes out and puts up pieces sometimes illegally he doesn't have to but he still does it just yeah. because it's it's for the love of it you know and and yeah um i i think that that's that that's what drove me to do it there is is to to you get to do something on a scale that not many people get to do yeah you know that's amazing I love that. Yeah. And I mean, just going into like giving, you know, spreading the message and giving back to the world. What's your just philosophy on, on giving back? I know you do a lot of it. You said you went to South Africa and you're, you're working with different charities and you've done it kind of throughout the lifespan of your career and you continue to do it. What's behind that? Um, to me, it's, it's being able to, to inspire, um, you know, I, I at my art show, somebody asked me about that, and I kind of said, you know, right now I'm in a point in my life where I have to work 80% of the time so that I can give back 20% of the time, because financially I have to kind of do that work 80% of the time. I would love to get into a point in my career where I only have to work 20% of the time and I can give back 80%. That's my goal. Um, 
it'd be great to get to 100, but you know, then that's really setting the bar high. But I would love to flip that 80-20, you know? Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's, it's about leaving something behind, you know? Uh, I, I think paintings, they come and go. Uh, the clothing brand, you know, who knows where that will go. But at the end of the day, inspiration, putting something like education to kids mm. and things like that, or being able to leave your mark on something, that has historic value to it. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where where you, we look back at like you know the wall that yeah. came down. <laughs> you know, it's like there's moments in history of things that we all are kind of remembering, and, and it's all about taking part in doing something that that is meaningful. You know, the day I left Palestine, you know, I, I told David, I kind of said, you know. It's one of those things where I'm glad we finished the painting safe and we left safe and everything else. But if tomorrow they said we're tearing down the wall and I knew Ugh, I just finished that painting, now they're going to tear it down, I would actually be extremely happy. Mm. I would not care if my mural had to come down the next morning because at least you feel like I'd rather see progress in the sake of peace. Yeah. As opposed to saying, oh, let's keep the wall up, you right. know, uh, <laughs> it's a great location. To yeah. Play. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that that's kind of what motivates me is to kind of try to see if there is a way to just change the world one painting at a time. You know, a lot of the work I do, uh, you know, with South Africa and all these other places is that, you know, you kind of feel like you're making a difference, even if it's a tiny little difference. Um, and those are very, very satisfying and gratifying projects. Yeah. You know. That's awesome. And it sounds like it's it's working. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, to me, I feel like that is, if your goal is to be able to, to kind of, you know, inspire kids. You know, we were talking about the, the festival that I'm curating, you know. To me, I'm doing that not because, you know, I want to see any kind of huge success for myself out of it. To me, what I, I the reason I set out to it was because when I was growing up, when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old, and I was just getting into the graffiti culture, there was nobody there. Um, uh, it wasn't as, as big as it is now. Mm. So to find inspiration and to find a chance to talk to professionals was something very rare, very difficult to do. Same with skateboarding. It's like all we knew about was Tony Hawk and, you know, Alva and all that, but it's not like we knew them personally. Nowadays, it's like you can go to the local skate park and probably see like Paul Rodriguez or Rob Durdick, you know, hanging yeah. out at the same local place. Um, and that's what I kind of wanted to create this festival for, is to give an opportunity for kids, 13, 14 years old, to get a chance to get inspired by yeah. grown-ups, to see, like, you know, I feel like art education is one of those things, not just in the U.S., but in most places, is the last thing people put focus on. Yeah. It's the thing that first loses money in school. It's the first thing that loses attention. and. And I, I think that's bad. I think kids need creativity. It's, it's what motivates them. It's what pushes them outside. Yeah. You know, and if I can create a festival where they get to see people do that and make a living out of art and it motivates them to, whether to pick up a can or pick up a pencil, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And if, if we're unlucky enough to where the wall will still be in Palestine 20 years from now, one of those kids goes there because they say, oh, I saw somebody do it and that inspired me to do it again. That's to do awesome. it too. And that's fine because it's con you're leaving something behind that continues to transcend as opposed to just making one painting and selling it, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I love that. I mean, I love that your heart shines through that, which is, which is awesome. And, and 
being able to give back to the world and even want to do that yeah. is is something that's not not always normal. Yeah. Um, so that's that's very cool. Thank you. Um, and I guess just one one last thing before we finish up here is just let's talk about a little about about the clothing line that you started. Where how did you start that and. Yeah, it's, uh, we're basically just <laughs> got done shooting our lookbook for our uh, spring-summer 2015, which will be our third collection uh, for the brand um, with the very uh, amazing and talented host of yours here. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it became from, my wife is a very talented uh, fashion buyer. She's studied at FIT in New York City and worked with, with a lot of big brands. Um, and I kind of felt like, you know, I always had a, an interest in fashion, uh, but I knew that she had the expertise. And I kind of, it comes back to me feeling like doing 10 things at once. Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of people that tell me, don't do this, it's not worth it, or it's too much of a heartache, or it's too much of a brain ache. And I kind of feel like if you want to do something, if you always, there was something in you that you always wanted to try to do, you should do it. Yeah. Um, and you should never half-ass things. Uh, at the beginning, when I first got into this idea, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just make a couple of t-shirts and sell them on my website. Um, but after further discussion, not just with my wife, but with colleagues as well, they kind of said, you know, if you're going to do it, go big or go home hmm. in the same way that you do your murals and the same that you do your projects and the same as you do the charity work, just go big or don't do it at all. Um, so I kind of decided to, to try to push that. Um, and to my surprise, it's been received extremely well. I mean, we'll when we came out with our very first season, we got into six different stores across Scandinavia, which was more than we expected. I mean, we thought going into it, the first few seasons we're going to be selling shirts via my yeah. website. Now we're at actual boutiques after the very first season. Uh, stores cool. were calling us up saying, hey, how can we carry your brand? And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they see how hard I hustled my art over the years and they mm. see to where it got. So now they kind of say, if he's gonna put that much passion and heart into this, it's gonna have a lot of potential and growth. Um, and it's quite nice because it's very reassuring that you're doing something right. There's yeah. nothing better than feeling that what you're creating is becoming something, is yeah. flourishing. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of taken off on its own and it's mm. it's been outstanding for us. Uh, we're getting orders and we're fulfilling it we're getting into more stores and we're going to be in stockholm now we're hoping to expand it to denmark and doing it in other countries besides sweden um and it's quite nice because i feel like it's something i never expected to become its own thing yeah. uh, my wife recently had to to leave her job she had a full-time job at a company in sweden she left it so she can put all of her focus into the brand because we needed somebody there to put a hundred percent into it yeah um but as far as for the brand itself, we're trying to keep it very much like my art. I kind of said it has to be original. It has to have, you know, it, it can't, it, if it's going to represent my artwork, then we have to treat it like it's artwork. Mm -hmm. So we don't do any digital manipulation to the artwork that's on the t-shirts. We don't try to do any photoshopping and faking a funk with it. It's all just every, it's funny, every design you see on the shirt is something I create on canvas. So essentially it's all coming from actual original artworks. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the only way I kind of felt it would do it justice is that if I do it, it has to be that way. Um, and that's, that's what we're trying to do is, is create something that's a little bit different than what we're seeing in Sweden, a little bit different than what uh, a lot of other people are doing. 
and it's original you know it's yeah. funny somebody uh, after our first season after they saw our collection they were like aren't you worried somebody is going to knock it off or steal it and i said look somebody can create this as good as i do <laughs> like my if they can take my painting and make a duplicate of it kudos to them you know that's going to happen one way or another it happens with art too yeah. i can make a print and somebody can knock it off i mean at the end of the day you're 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 your designs are only going to be as good as your art. You yeah. know, there is a lot of artists out there who are much better than I am, uh, who do much better work than I do. So at the end of the day, it's it's not a competition. It's just about doing your own thing and being happy. And yeah, you know, I'm happy. <laughs> I love that. I love that, man. And it's it's cool to see. I mean, it's inspiring to see you diving into that realm and, yeah. and seeing the success there. And I love it. I love it. Thank so, and you know, last question, which I ask all my guests, is what does live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration. Um, just doing, it, to me, it's it's being able to just wake up and do every morning and, and feeling bad about falling asleep the night before. You know what I mean? Really? Like being able to kind of say, man, I, I wish there were just more hours in the day to do what I do every day. If you can inspire yourself to get up and, and continue to go, then then you're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Money should never be the drive of it. Whether you have an executive or VP on your business card shouldn't be the drive of it. That should never be your motivation. Your motivation should just be from within. It should just be like every night when you fall asleep, you're basically thinking, man, I can't wait till 8 a.m. tomorrow when I wake up. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's joy, man. That's being able to, you know, whether you find that with your family or whether you find that with your job or whether you find that with your hobbies, you know, as long as you find it, that's all that matters. You know? Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. So where can where can we find you online on the uh, internet? So um, you can find me on thevacantwall.com. Thevacantwall.com is my art site. Uh, the clothing brand is East39.se. That's E-A-S-T-39.se. That's for the clothing brand. Beyond that, I'm on Facebook. I'm on a bunch of other stuff. I don't even remember how the passwords for those, but <laughs> I'm on those somewhere. Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it's there. And, and, you know, I encourage people to connect if they have questions, if they want further info about stories or whatever. Feel free. I'm a very open book, man. I, I have a lot of people constantly email me about oh hey what do you suggest about this or like you, some of the questions you ask about how do you get to the first gallery you know um and i i love responding to those because you know i've believe me i've asked those questions for yeah. my favorite artists yeah. you know uh so it's i encourage people to connect man it's we live in this age of connection might as well do it <laughs> definitely definitely yeah. well i appreciate you've inspired me to paint <laughs> That's get, get, get some canvases yeah, and, and can. play around a little bit so and, and everything else yeah. but thanks for coming on no thank you and and thanks for everyone who listened to me ramble for god knows how long but that was you know, great i hope you got inspired awesome thanks no problem thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of shop talk radio i'm your host nick onkin and i hope you enjoyed shy's story today it's amazing how art can bridge the gap between different cultures and religions and people also, if you want to check out the photo shoot that I did of Shy on shoptalkradio.com slash EP29, you can check it out there. You can also get the show notes and links to his websites. And if you enjoyed and were inspired by today's episode, we'd love it if you could help us out 
and leave us a good review on iTunes. Hashtag us at hashtag shop talk radio across all social media platforms. You can also tag me on Instagram at Nick Onkin where you're listening to shop talk radio. I'd love to see where you are being inspired with that. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.